coming up on the Louis Diaz podcast. You know, and you spend all these years running companies where your phone, you constantly are just inundated with emails and text messages and voicemails, people always needing something. And it was the most terrifying feeling when I realized, ah, I am no longer important. No one needs me. Hi, and welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast, the podcast where you'll meet some of the most fascinating and incredible people from all walks of life. And together, we're inviting you in to be our special guest as we take you through some of their amazing experiences, adventures, and journeys. So sit back and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. All right, everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. Today, I've got a super interesting guest, Thad Cummings, founder of Changing Company. He's a speaker who's done a TED Talk, which I've watched probably about four times over the last 24 hours, by the way, because that's how I roll. Um, the author of three books, including Weathering the Corporate Storm, Running from Fear, Radical Compassion, and more importantly, you're a dad too. Welcome. That I am. <laughs> The most important one of them all, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Louis Diaz podcast. Really great to have you here. Thanks for making time for me. Yes, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. You know, um, I usually generally get overwhelmed with this whole podcasting experience. I'm not going to lie, especially when I have a guest on that's just so, I guess you would say, accomplished. You've done so many things. One of the issues with me not necessarily having an agenda that I want to drive is that I never know where to start. But that's always really great because it leads to a very organic conversation. But really, I don't know really where to start with you, Thad. Um, but what I do want to know is a little bit about you. And I'm sure our audience will want to know a little bit about you. Why don't you sort of bring us up to speed on like a high level of your of your journey? There's a really great little bio about you on your on the website of Changing Company that I wanted to read. But I thought it would just be a little bit cheesy if I just read that word for word. <laughs> Yeah, I think what I can simply say is I came from a background of running companies for maybe seven or eight years, and I got sick and lost everything in a short span of about three months. And in that journey was the opportunity to go back and heal, for lack of better words, of why was I in my early 20s trying to quote-unquote, save the world and become so successful and, you know, hell-bent on power and success and money and thinking that's the only way I'd actually be able to to make a difference in the world and, and make positive change. And coming out of that was what I thought was going to be maybe a three-month-long season, you know, go do some therapy sessions, get through that, figure some stuff out, and then, you know, by the end of it, have a new trajectory in life. And that was almost seven years ago now. Mm. And I'd love to sit on the other side of this conversation and say that I've got it all figured out and I've got the answers, but I would say I'm probably more humbled by the journey now than I've ever been. And it's not to say that there haven't been beautiful gifts along the way, you know, learning to heal from trauma and childhood and things that happened over the years and having dozens of mentors coming in and out of my life. I've been able to attend retreats and workshops and have spiritual directors and counselors. And so there's many, many people that I have to credit to the healing journey that I've had. Mm. But I will say the gift in it all is that the further I've gone down this road, the more people that I've met that are in similar boats, that understand chaos and suffering and pain and sorrow and are also simultaneously 
on their own journeys to find peace and joy and longing mm. for a better world. And I think that's the beauty in all this. And I never know where the next year takes me. I don't even know where tomorrow takes me, but I find myself sinking deeper and deeper into the gratitude of today, which is something I never would have said to you six years ago. Mm. So, and, and thank you for that. One of the things I'd really love to know, just quickly, you did a TED talk a little while back. It was called Service Leadership Through Trickle Out Collaboration. And in your TED Talk, you covered a lot of really amazing concepts. Was the talk before or after all of the changes in your life? It was actually after. And it was the simplest way I could put it is I'm so damn stubborn in terms of coming to change that I had to lose everything, right? So I didn't just lose my companies. My family separated, right? My health collapsed. Right. I mean, it, it, everything in my world imploded all at the same time. That's how much it took in order for me to you know, just simply humble myself enough to be willing to change. Out of that is where I started that journey and writing and speaking and traveling. I went from being the CEO who's got all the answers to just another human being who puts their pants on one leg at a time, just trying to figure out how to get my own poop in a group. And it was from that stage of vulnerability that I started reengaging, you know, the corporate world and, and engaging that conversation in a new way. And so it was, you know, I would take the stage just simply saying, hey, I don't have I don't have the answers, but here's here's some wisdom that's been shared with me by very important people in my life and it's helping me and I hope that it helps you. And that was the same reality of this TED Talk is after seven or eight years living in the corporate world, it's a very toxic environment, but it also doesn't have to be that way. And so how do we open up those conversations to just simply talk about very, very misguided cultural norms? Mm. Yeah, wow. And just to touch on a few other things, also, you've written three books uh, and you're a dad as well. And so talk to me about being a dad of a daughter just quickly. Um, you mentioned that in the in the notes that you sent me. Thank you for that. Um, how old's your daughter? When did that happen? So she is now eight and a half. You uh -huh. can't forget the half at that age. She's wonderful. Her name's Finley, Finney May, and she's one of my grounding points. I would say... I mean, I made a lot of mistakes. I still continue to make mistakes. There's no denying that. But a really difficult thing was that I, I was still running companies when she was born. And so I actually pretty much, I mean, you could safely say I missed the first two and a half years of her life. Mm. And stereotypical American culture, you know, I was around, I had the stable income, you know, provided the house and, and, and everything of that nature. And I thought that that was enough because that was, you know, everything you've always been told. And it wasn't until I got sick and realized that I'd already missed some of the best years of her life and the painful reality that you don't get that back, that I decided it's the opportunity to realize I don't want her to have that childhood that I had, right? You know, I want her to still experience life and hardship, you know, that's part of it, but also have a father that's present and around and willing to talk and spend time with her and the things that I didn't get to do with my parents. And so I'm I am grateful, and it's not, it's never easy, right? Like I said, and I still make mistakes, but I'm grateful for that shift as well that hopefully I can be a greater part mm. of her life now than I ever was in the early years. Yeah, I mean, and do you mind if I ask, how old are you? Uh, 32, almost 33 oh, now. man, you've lived so fast. You've done so much and lived so <laughs> fast. And, and I think you and I had our kids around the same age. I'm 38 and my daughter was born just before I turned 24. And so that's a real, mm -hmm. yep. you know, it's a real game changer when you have a kid at that age. But th then the fact that you were still able to sort of, you know, obviously run these companies that you started, write these books, very accomplished. And the thing is that, yeah, you've lived very fast. 
you're still so young dad it's crazy you've lived very fast you've experienced so much and i think that makes you a really super amazing perfect person to be a dad right like you still have mm. age or time on your side age-wise you've been able to acquire all this wisdom from not only growth and ambition in your younger years but also things not going to plan and then the fallout from that and then being able to sort of regather yourself and point yourself in a new trajectory i think that's literally like that's amazing that you've been able to do all that and you're still only 32 man when i was 32 i was still going to dive bars um you know <laughs> trying to get out of my last relationship and you know not being present for my daughter which really broke my heart because she lives in, a, in another state and so i think what i'm trying to get at here is that it sounds like you've had several make or break experiences in your life already and it just doesn't seem like any of them have broken you maybe like they they would have me. Hmm. Well, if I can respond to that, the one thing I would say is I've been broken several times over. I don't, I never want to negate or gloss over really, really difficult years of anxiety and depression and struggle and just feeling like I was eating shit every step of the way. And it's not even that I don't have my days today. I think it's easier to look back and say how far we've come, but it never denies how difficult the journey was to get here. And that's what I always want to remind people because I feel like it was the one thing that was never told to me. When my life fell apart and I thought that I was going to be able to fix it in three months to get back together, I, I didn't understand not only how hard it would be to go through that journey, but also how long it would take. And mm. that's in the simple fact that it's a never-ending process. And so I say that not to discourage people, but hopefully to encourage them because most people that I meet who have been on this journey for however long it is, months, years, you name it, some even decades, um, we don't do a great job of talking about the perspectives and, and the humility that it takes to move through these things. We, mm -hmm. we hide it as, a, as, at least in America, we hide it as a culture and, mm -hmm. and it's a shame and guilt thing to say, you haven't figured it out yet or, you know, why haven't you put your life back together yet instead of saying, mm -hmm. you know, what have you learned? How can you, how can we help each other? How can we learn from each other? And how can we grow in this together? Because we're all on this journey, whether we want to admit it or not. And that's why I think these conversations are important to bring that to a public space to talk about it. Enjoying the episode so far? Be sure to follow us and leave us a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, actually, I couldn't agree more. And while I was listening to your TED Talk, and I, I actually caught myself out just then, because if I had been as good a listener as what I think I am. I would have known that the talk was after the breakdown because you mentioned it or I'll call it the breakdown, but the as you phrase it, losing everything um, mm -hmm. and, and falling ill. But when I listen to your talk, all of the things that you cover, I've either been thinking at some point or I needed to hear. And one of the things that sort of really sticks out to me about you is that you are aware i mean let's just talk about your framework for example and it might make it easier for the people at home the, the framework about the you we and us those 10 different dot points that you had underneath those three major headings is one of the things that has really been on my mind lately it's been on my mind a lot especially as we're sort of i think the western world's getting a little bit more chaotic I know it's been a few years since your talk and that we've got a lot of really great voices in society these days. We really do. Like we're very lucky. We've got a privilege to have access mm -hmm. to so many amazing people. 
But yet it still feels like the Western world is descending deeper and deeper into chaos. And the more it does, the clearer it is to see these voices of reason. And so I feel like I resonated with parts of your talk now way more than I would have maybe five or 10 years ago. Um, and especially mm. about the us part. And like you, you said in your talk, society has become so polarizing. And that's one, of the, that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. And I was listening to your 10 dot points and you mentioned one of them. Number six was bringing opposites together. Your acknowledgement that, you know, we need to be able to learn from each other and collaborate as a society if we're going to continue to, you know, exist or coexist. And mm. I just love, I love all of these points. So that wasn't even a question. That was just me <laughs> just talking for a little while. But I, I think it was. Dad, I think it was more along the lines of that I find it super interesting that these things have been on your mind for a while, that you've been discussing them in talks, that you've been writing books about them. And I feel like at the same time as we're becoming more polarizing as a society, more and more people are starting to latch on to those ideals. And I think it's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate that. I think... And again, in any, anything I say in any of these talks or conversations is a reality of, you know, things that have been passed down and passed on yeah. to me, right? And so that's the gift in all of this is we're all learning from each other. And I used to fear the polarization. I used to fear, you know, the breakdown of society. And it may not be perhaps the most politically correct thing to say, but there's a part of me that just says, bring it on. Let it all burn. Because... And, and again, I'm only reprojecting from my own personal experience, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But if culture can prove anything, it's stubborn, right? It's It resists change. And so from my experience, I know that as a stubborn human being that resists change, everything in my life had to burn to smithereens in order for me to wake up and change. And so my first degree was actually, you know, natural resource management. You study wildfires and people see them. This is a terrible, destructive thing, but it's actually a part of the life cycle in nature that you have to have this cleansing to recycle. And it's a part of rebirth. And I think so many things are going so wrong in our societies. It's true. And we're also having conversations that we potentially wouldn't have ever had without the chaos, right? I mean, yeah. My country made a mockery in the world when Trump was elected, and a lot of very negative things came from that. That's very true. And also, my country had conversations that it refused to have as a response to that election. And so one of my friends, Daryl Davis, he's um, a black man married to a white woman. He converts Ku Klux Klan members out of the Klan. He's been doing this his whole life. And when I was sitting down interviewing him, he came and spoke at an event I held last summer. And I asked him, does he see hope in the state of our country right now? And he said he couldn't be more hopeful because of the conversations that we're having, because yes. of what he sees as forward progress. But it's not this beautiful, euphoric, sexy thing. It's, it's chaos. It's wrestling. It's struggling. It's fighting. It's hard. But forward, we are moving. And that's the only thing, I mean, I have to, I have to believe in that. I have to, I have to have hope in that. Otherwise yeah. all of this is null and void and there's not much point in talking about it. So yeah. yeah, maybe I'm naive at the end of the day, but I'm not willing to give up just yet. No, no, I, I don't think it's naive. I think there's, there's faith, right? Is that old blind mystery mm -hmm. thing 
that is required by all human beings and has been since the beginning of time, either consciously or subconsciously, it's faith. And just like you mm -hmm. know that when a fire has finished burning out, that regrowth happens. But at the same time, if you're standing right in the middle of that fire, that's the last thing you're thinking. And I think that that's where you are. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I think that's where you are right now. That's where we are in history. And I, I find it interesting that you mentioned Trump, actually, because I think Trump gets a lot of stick. But one of the things that couldn't be more true is what you said, is that that whole thing happening and that whole election of Trump opened up conversations that we weren't having before that needed to be had about the state of politics mm -hmm. in your country. But also even the way that he came into, you know, the debates with Hillary Clinton. Clinton, for example, I found it really interesting that she was questioning his taxes and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but she was questioning his taxes and I was like, I use the exact same tax code as your donors. And so I think he himself, through his own belligerent attitude towards the establishment, you know, mm -hmm. really forced things upon us that we were otherwise nonchalantly blind to or had yeah. had a lack of interest in exploring ourselves. And I think for those reasons alone, it was one of the greatest things that happened because despite all the things that we perceive as negative that came out of it, I think, wow, what an amazing time in history for opening up difficult conversations that we didn't want to have. And since Trump, yeah. I've seen like I've seen some really just like honestly incredible human beings coming out and having these voices that wouldn't exist if they weren't so riled up or passionate about something that happened during his time or since, I guess. And so yeah, I find that absolutely interesting. It's it's like the whole fire thing. And I, and I yeah, it's I I don't want to deny that the fire burns. I don't want to deny that terrible things happen because of that mm. before and after. I don't want to deny the pain and suffering and uh, atrocities that come out of that. Those those things all happened and are painful. And again, you'll have to forgive me. This is not my background. It's not my expertise. But in three years of reading social psychology books, trying to understand the way the human mind thinks, mm. unfortunately, it seems to be a common thread. We respond to stress. We respond to chaos, mm. right? We have to have things fall apart in order to decide because nobody is in the middle of what they believe to be as a perfect life and everything's going fine and they're at their Sunday barbecue and they decide, you know what, I'm going to throw all this away and go to therapy and try and change everything, right? We need catalysts that shake the ground and stir such deep emotions in us that we react. Mm. And unfortunately, we tend to psychologically respond more to negative oh. motivations rather than positive. I wish it weren't the case. I wish we lived in a society where we all came around a table, no matter what your race or gender or beliefs or politics were, and said, hey, let's talk about how we can make this better and learn from one another. I mean, that would be amazing, oh. but it's just, it's not our history. It's not human psyche. Oh. And unfortunately, it, like me being forced to change, it seems like human culture has to be forced to come together. And it seems silly, but how do you, I, I don't have any proof to argue against that as much as I want to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, look, there's, I mean, there's so many ways we could go there. And I think I, I do want to dive deeper into your background a little bit and, you know, what you studied and, and where some of these interests sprung from. But I think 
one of the things that you sort of touched on there was our negative bias, I think is what they call it in psychology or something like that. Mm -hmm. We have a negative bias, which totally makes sense, right? Because you're picking berries and the berries are great, but then you see a saber-toothed tiger behind you and you're like, forget those berries. Um, <laughs> and, and so we're kind of wired like that for a very good reason for survival. Um, but the other thing that I sort of, I can't help but think when I think about all this world and how crazy it's gotten and how it's going is that I do think that we have put too much pressure on ourselves as a species to keep the world binning as in a big whole community. Right? I think we've the global mm. globalism and globalization, I suppose, has made us think that we can cooperate really seamlessly. But in reality, what's happened out of that is the breakdown of a lot of micro communities. And that has been really one of the saddest things that I think has happened over the, since the industrial revolution and, and globalization sort of kicked in because actually we're not wired like that. And your talk confirmed that for me. It's about the you, the, the we, and the us, but the us doesn't mean someone else on the other side of the planet, unfortunately, right? We need to get the us as in like the person that lives next door and I mean, how many people know the, the name of the person that picks up their trash once a week? No mm. one. You know what I mean? No one. So I think we've devastated localization and we've tried to replace it with globalization and globalization doesn't work. And when we try and, when we put our thinking caps on, when we want to solve these problems and go, oh, I don't know what it is that we need to do to get this right. Well, the first thing needs to do is stop trying to fix a global issue and start trying to fix the one at home just around the corner. It's kind of the feeling that I get from these things. And it takes coming some of the pressure You off. know, I, what you're touching on is actually, I think, it is a crucial reality. So let's just take for an example. So where I live in West Michigan, they call it uh, one of the little Jerusalems because the amount of churches per square mile outside of Jerusalem. And what I think is interesting, you know, the amount of sermons I've heard because... You know, for instance, when I go to Ukraine and, you know, you talk about loving your enemies, it's it's an interesting conversation because it's it's sexy, it's another culture, it's another backyard, right? It's in a lot of ways it is easier to do that work than it is to simply love oh. your neighbor who lives next door, right? Which if you want to get biblical, you know, as part of that uh, that of the Christian faith tradition, that is like, you know, a commandment, mm -hmm. right? Love your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. But to your point, not only do we not know the person who picks up our trash, we don't even know the people who live next door to us. Or if we know them, we don't know two doors down or three doors down, right? And especially if they have, say, a political affiliation or religious affiliation different than our own, and now we can definitely separate from them. And so it is harder to be in a localized community because that takes sacrifice, that takes hard conversations. And for lack of better words, you're almost stuck with these people. You're in close proximity. And I think it, you know, I've always said some of the best people I've ever met, they have two things in common. They travel the world and they read a lot of books, right? Because they don't come back racist or sexist or homophobic, right? Yes. Because they've engaged with so much you know, whatever the isms are, they've surpassed them because they've experienced so many other cultures to realize the world is much bigger than themselves. But we are able, I do believe that we are able to recreate that without traveling to a hundred countries or reading a thousand books if we are willing to sit down at the table with those people who look, think, or act, or believe differently than us. And that's oftentimes 
within a one square mile or one kilometer radius of you, right? To your point. Mm, yeah, I love that. You nailed it there. But yeah, I, I do want to go back. I want to go back to young, young Thad. You know, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in West Michigan? Um, and I grew up what, just outside of Detroit. Right. Okay. And what was your upbringing like? I mean, were you? Was, did you love studying? Did you? Did you play sports? Or what were your major influences? Oof. Um. You know, I'm always careful because you think about who's going to listen to this podcast, and I, you know, <laughs> is anyone in my family going to listen to it? You know, can can you can you speak freely, or what can you really say? Um, I think the safe gist I can say was, um, you know, so I, I was raised by alcoholic parents. I was the youngest of a lot of merged families and step and half siblings. And, you know, if you've ever heard the TV show Jerry Springer, I think it's safer to say the childhood was closer to uh, closer to that, like a bad reality TV show with lots of drama and spice and experiencing all that chaos. So it was not an idyllic childhood filled with love and compassion and teaching healing and forgiveness. It was much a, a home of hostility. Oh. And it's not to say that my entire childhood was terrible or that good things didn't come out of it, but it's certainly not a childhood I would wish on anybody. And one, I'm careful to protect my own daughter from as best as I can. And so I think growing up, you know, I didn't fall into sports. I was a late bloomer. I, I found myself from a very early age asking questions, just trying to understand, you know, why things were as bad as they were. Because I was I was a, a whoopsie baby and you know a drunken mistake is what you would call it and so I came much later on so I have siblings that are old enough to be my parents or you know I was by the time I was born I already had nieces and great nephews and so there was huge age gaps and able to watch not only the pain and the chaos within my family but the mistakes that other people made and there were parts of my family that were successful and wealthier. There's parts of my family that were incredibly, you know, what I would call like Appalachian poor, you know, down in North Carolina, you know, mm. you know, no teeth and no education and illiterate. And I was able to spend time interacting with all these different levels, these mm. microcosms and seeing the pain and brokenness in all of them. And at some point, I don't know why, but I feel like I was able to learn or see or experience enough to say that I want something different for myself. Mm. And that driving force to keep another child from going through what I went through, that is what drove me to work 80, 90, 100 hours a week and create not one company, but multiple companies and nonprofit. And that's mm. how I get down this road to where I'm, you know, go from worth nothing to seven figures mm. in my early twenties and, you know, and, and literally working myself to death. Right. I mean, the stress and the chaos of all that. And so it's, that's the more of the authentic story as to what it, at one point in time people saw as how amazing to be so accomplished and successful at such a young age, but to not understand what was driving me, I could not fail, right? That wasn't an option because I had to prove my worthiness. I had to prove my self-love and all those people from my childhood wrong. And so that's not something that can sustain, right? That's not a healthy motivation or driving force, which is why I did get sick and why everything did collapse. Mm. And I'm grateful for it now, mm. of course, because that is my story. That is why I'm able to work, say, in hospice or the emergency department or go to Ukraine or just sit even simply with a friend who's lost a loved one or going through addiction or divorce, mm. what have you. I'm okay to sit in suffering and 
and sorrow because it's a known to me that I'm comfortable in. And I also know that it's not the whole story, mm. right? And somebody was willing to along my journey, many someone's were willing to share that hope with me. And what, what greater opportunity do we have in life to return some small part of that back to the world? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I know that sometimes when I ask these questions that I could potentially be taking someone back into a trauma or somewhere where they don't want to go. But, you know, I always really find it interesting around, you know, what makes someone who they are because we we get a snapshot of this incredible person or this person that we're just, oh, I just watched this amazing TED Talk that you did four times, I swear. And I just think, gosh, how does someone get the get to the point where they're able to put together this framework and realize that the individual is part of the whole and want to share that message and talk about humility and talk about the perils of marketing and advertising in, in society um, you know and, and want to share these messages with the world what transforms a human being let's just pretend for a minute that we're all born equal under equal circumstances what transform a human being into the one that wants to share those stories. And so that's kind of where I go. That's kind of the angle. And I think you're definitely there. You gave us a lot, a lot that we can appreciate that, you know, it wasn't a beautiful linear upbringing, but you were exposed to so much, I guess, such a, a breadth of different life experiences, even within your own family from the successful ones to the, to the lesser so. And in your society, I suppose, for you to at least launch yourself in a direction and then learn the lessons that that came from that and i think that's awesome and i think it's great that you're able to talk about it too you know obviously you're keeping some the lid on certain things but um <laughs> yeah and and especially you know because i'm a dad too and you know the whole time that you were talking i just couldn't relate you know i couldn't because it for me it kind of went the opposite way for me, like, when you had your daughter and you just thought, oh, I want to protect my daughter from having an upbringing like that, there was an element of me when I had my daughter that thought a similar thing when I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'd love her to grow up on the beach, for example, and, you know, have this coastal upbringing and have a mum and dad, obviously, which is doing better than me. And once the relationship with her mum broke up that just broke me and it became from me wanting to sort of give her the the upbringing that i wish i had to me trying to protect her from seeing me fall apart mm -hmm. and that's kind of one of the things that i really admire about your story is that you know you've had this north star that i feel like i failed to have and i guess in a way bringing all these different people from all over the world together all these opposites as you put it um is a way for me to really understand my own process and really learn about the humility that goes that is behind life journeys as a whole and be able to share share those aspects of it because one of the things that you said is we don't talk about these things enough like you know why aren't we talking about these amazing things but what i've learned is how to hack that and I think if you're a, a semi-switched on person, if you just start having conversations about just life in general, the humility will show up. Mm. People aren't going to talk about how awesome they are and how how much humility they carry around with them and how you know their ideas are amazing and all of their vulnerability and how how wonderful is that. But if you get the people to tell them tell you their stories, 
then at some point the humility and the vulnerability will appear and that's where we can start. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started this project. And I love that I've got someone like you on because you're so different to my other guests and I feel like it's just two dads that I've never met before just talking about their experiences. And I can tell you, I was not worth seven figures at some point. I went the opposite direction. (laughs) (laughs) So how how do we as two dads bring this together and, you know, find some common ground? You're listening to the Louis Diaz podcast. You know, I I think... What I would say as a parent is the same thing that I would say in this podcast. The conversations are important because whether one person listens to this or a thousand people listen to it is irrelevant. If the person on the other side understands that whatever their pain, their struggle, their journey, you know, that they're not suffering at it alone, right? I think that's one of the worst things that can happen to the human psyche is when the brain traps itself in a loop cycle on repeat that you are a failure, you are not enough, you are not loved, you are not worthy. It will destroy a person. And to allow the brain to hear, you know, and it's it's a it's a whole other conversation for another day when you get into wounded child and the loyal soldier and the psychology of how the brain works. You know, so something I do when I take people on retreats out into the woods is to to spend three days having these conversations, to know that actually what's happening in your brain is a very normal thing and it's a very normal process. And it doesn't mean that it's the best thing for you, but we also have to make peace with that to allow it to, because it was important at one time, right? These protection mechanisms, they're just no longer serving the purpose. So we thank the loyal soldier for their, their dedicated service to protect our wounded child and we heal to move on. But to hear those voices of reason to say, you know, you're, again, you're not alone. You know, millions of people go through divorce, millions of people, you know, struggle with sexuality, millions of people suffer from illness or cancer or death or grief or job loss or or depression or anxiety, right? I mean, it's, so it's the more we open up the stage to say that you're not alone, mm. I think that level of vulnerability helps heal not just a relationship, but a society and perhaps maybe one day the world if we could be such, you know, visionaries to believe that. And simultaneously, I think that starts actually within our own home. So if you want to talk about bringing it home as a parent, one of the hardest, but I believe one of the best things we can do within reason is to let our kids see us fall apart, Uh to let our kids see us make mistakes, to let our kids see us fail, and to cry in front of your child and to turn around and say, because it's okay to be sad sometimes. It's okay to cry sometimes, right? It's not that we cry every day or we get angry every day or we fail every day. It's not to take it to an extreme. It's just to simply teach, to teach our children that hard things are going to happen to you in life. And that doesn't have to define your entire life, right? You will make mistakes. Those might have been perhaps a bad action, but it doesn't make you a bad person, right? And to, the more we have these conversations to separate it out, the more we normalize hardships and hard feelings and anxiety and depression, the more we teach our kids that it's okay, right? Because otherwise we set them up for failure. We try to have our poop in a group. We try to pretend that we love our job. We have this house and everything's going fine and everything, you know, we're not going to argue or fight or break down or show any other emotion, of our kids and then when they experience it what do they feel well shame and guilt because they've never seen mom or dad or friend or relative go through it so how do you handle hard feelings well you isolate you shut down you feel shame and now we have an entire culture 
that's driven by the shame. He's driven by these unfeeling, this, you know, this, this feeling of lack of being enough or, or, or unworthiness, right? And so how do we reverse that? Well, we start by reversing that in our homes and in our relationships with those closest to us. That's, or our neighbors, right? Or the person picking up our trash, right? I mean, that's, that can be where we start because that's our circle of influence and let the rest take care of itself, you know? Yeah, you know what? And I think you touch on all of those really great points, but I still feel like there's something missing for me. And then it just sort of popped up. It bubbled up in my brain just at the end, just when you finished there, that it's also in nature as well. I feel like the more we connect with nature, the more that'll help too. And it's funny that you talked about taking people out into the woods and retreats. Why do you take people out to the woods? Why don't you take them into a convention center, into a hall as well? There's a reason for that, I think, (laughs) right? There's a reason for that is because absolutely the woods teach you that you are part of like this way bigger thing (laughs) i guess um there's an ecosystem around around us and i think that helps us to shrink to almost a level of insignificance when we're out in nature we become so insignificant that it's not not in a bad way but it's a good thing because our worries shrink too because you're like, oh, hang on. And I found this out the other day, actually. I'm on Instagram and I followed this outer space page. And apparently our sun is traveling through the universe at some rapid rate. I didn't know that. I thought it was just stationary. <laughs> and and, hmm. and our planet is revolving around the sun as well. And so are all the other planets that revolve around our sun. So if you can imagine the sun kind of like a shooting star now. And you can imagine all these planets like orbiting around the sun and doing this kind of dance, if you will around it and that's kind of the layer that i like to zoom out to when i i think about my problems i'm like oh yeah i'm just on this giant spinning rock that's (laughs) sits in the middle of a universe in amongst other galaxies um so i think yeah getting getting out into nature is is one of those ways that really helps us to come back down to earth as well as well as having those great conversations at home well and uh, and if i can share with you just one little memory that made me chuckle. Um, New Year's Eve 2016, this is kind of at the pinnacle of everything imploding and I'm sleeping in an empty apartment, no furniture. I just had my camping equipment left. So I'm sleeping on the floor of a camping apartment. Just it's, I can't sleep. It's gosh, I don't even know. It's two, three in the morning. And all of a sudden I look over at my phone and it was the first time I realized my phone is silent. You know, and you spend all these years running companies where your phone, you constantly are just inundated with emails and text messages and voicemails, people always needing something. And it was the most terrifying feeling when I realized, ah, I am no longer important. No one needs me. Mm. And that terrifying reality became one of my greatest gifts to realize I'm not important. And now I don't need my world to crash apart, to your point. Now I can stand underneath the stars and look up and realize how small I am, right? Or I can go out or one of the something I tell people when I take them on retreats is to walk through the woods as though everything is alive and aware of your presence, right? Because it is. And that level of humility and smallness can actually free us from the oppression that we need to succeed or be something beyond ourselves. And and that can become a gift. And then when we return back from that place and we realize everything is important and we all matter and, and, and you are a part of the greater cosmos. And yes, I agree with you. That's why I take people into the woods Mm. because I think 
no matter how confident you are, no matter what, how successful you think you are, if you get naked and stand on a mountaintop of the grizzly bear, I promise you, you'll be humbled real fast, right? So we don't even have to go that far, but it's it's just getting connected back into the roots of who we are yeah. and what yeah. we're made of and our common shared humanity. And that's, again, those are those are gifts that I don't think you're going to get out of a out of a convention hall, as you said. Yeah, yeah. And that brings me to, I guess, also, obviously, we talked about your upbringing. We got to the point where you've got the companies. You've obviously written books. Um, one recently that a um, friend, George, mentioned, Radical, um, oh, my God. Why do these things leave my brain immediately? Radical, Radical compassion. compassion. <laughs> Radical compassion. There you go. And, and so... Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that you, you've got your foundations. They turned you into the person that you have become and then you've had this change of trajectory where this, these sort of light bulb moments about there being more to life and more that you th- you feel you have to give have now become a priority. Mm-hmm. You're taking people out into to the woods, as you call it, to do retreats. What other kind of activities make up your day-to-day just to give people a bit of insight into you know who you are at the moment? Mm, uh, <laughs> uh, well, after getting sick, I went from, um, you know, the seven figure worth the six figure income, the, you know, the CEO, the first job I had was actually at as a nurse technician, a nurse aide, you know, making $12 an hour working in the hospital on inpatient oncology, which is a cancer floor where just about everybody came there to die. And from there, getting more involved into hospice and end of life. And so I went from the very top back to quote unquote, the very bottom. And since then I've graduated with a nursing degree. And uh, next month I graduate with a nurse practitioner degree as my graduate degree. And so, uh, yeah, it's, that's been a lot, of, a lot of schooling for many, many years now. But I read a book called uh, Mountains Beyond Mountains. It was about Dr. Paul Farmer. And it was one person who genuinely believed that he could make a difference. And I have a business background. My first degree was natural resource management. So it's an agricultural, you know, environmental background. And the one thing I felt like I was missing was understanding the healthcare system after I got sick. And so those are the three big pillars that I find are important in, you know, if you want to make a difference in your community. And so that leads me up to, you know, the past years where I've worked in the hospitals through COVID and, you know, the chaos that hit the American healthcare system there and working mm-hmm. in the ICUs and the ERs and, you know, it was pretty, pretty wrecked, pretty shaken by that. And and then last year I've been going to Ukraine, I don't know, 10 or 12 times now, you know, working with many organizations and hospitals there, delivering medication and doing trauma and PTSD work with these children. And there's a, you know, another handful of organizations I work with right here in my own community. And what I, what I think holds true is, mm. you know, there is pain and suffering everywhere we go, but I also have a greater respect for the joy that I've gotten to encounter. And, you know, I remember reading Viktor Frankl's book about finding joy in the Holocaust Mm. and the concentration camps. And I know that's just as true for me in West Michigan as it is, you know, on the front line of, you know, say the war in Ukraine and the gifts of the people I've met along the way and what they've taught me. And so my day-to-day life can be one of a multitude of things, but those core principles don't change Mm. is, well, 
as long as I stay grounded in that place of humility. You know, the book I've been writing about these last few years about this journey is on trying to understand how do you actually stay in a place of humility. And perspective is one of those gifts that I have on a regular basis because I get to see some of the worst things humanity is capable of time and time again. I, I get to, you know, be a front row visitor to pain and death and suffering, whether you know, it was an invisible illness of COVID or if it was war or, you know, the atrocities in an emergency room or my own continued health battles. And so I think that gift that keeps me grounded in this place of humility is my hope that it's, it's why these conversations are important because it's possible for all of us. I, I truly believe that what people like Viktor Frankl have written about, if we could all go down that journey, I, I, I genuinely have hope for a better world in it. And so that is my grounding principles, no matter what my day-to-day looks like, if I can say it that way. Yeah. If you haven't already, find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or TikTok, where you can catch additional content and grace us with your thoughts. Thanks again and enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, finding joy. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny because... A little while ago, it's a couple of months ago now, I interviewed Hector Marcel, who's um, the president of this um, Enlightenment studio in New York City. And he talked about the ugly baby. And that's a metaphor for basically, you know, our trauma, bringing our traumas. Yeah, he calls them mm. the ugly babies that we carry around with us. And his practice is, uh, comes from Buddhism, right? So he calls himself a wake upist because he's a reluctant. He says he's a reluctant Buddhist. He doesn't love the vibe of the whole thing. Um, but, you know, he still really appreciates the teachings and the learnings that come from it, which I think is great. Like, cool, if you don't want to wear the rags, fine. But, you know, take the principles, core principles <laughs> with you. you know? um, which is what he's done, you know, and especially because, you know, there's such a massive gap um, culturally between the East and the West. And so um, I think in a way that he's kind of mm. done that in order to bridge the two and go, on, okay, leave the clothes at home. Let's take your core principles and bring them into these big cities. Uh, I really love Hector because one of the things that he was talking to me about was just laughing, just laughing, learning how to laugh. Mm. And if I can give you some insight into my recent morning routine is that I get into, and it's winter here now where you're having your summer, I get into a straight cold shower at the moment um, every morning for about two and a half minutes. And something changed. I've been doing it um, straight. I've only missed nine days this year. And something changed recently where, well, it's getting colder. And I was like, oh, man, I need some way to psych myself up to this. It, you know, it's it's getting harder now. If I'm going to see out the winter of doing these cold showers in the morning, I'm going to need something extra. You know what I started doing? I started laughing. I just started laughing really, really hard. I'm there, standing there, butt naked. I've turned on the cold water. I'm just about to step into it, right? <laughs> Let it run down my face in my front. And I just started laughing really, really hard. And there was just, there was a moment there where I was like, this is the answer. This is the answer to everything. Mm. All of my fears is just bursting out in ridiculous laughter. And then just as I was setting up the equipment, I was like, what else has gone wrong in my life? Oh, yeah, last year I lost my girlfriend, best friend, and and my dog. You know, that relationship ended, and now they're on the other side of the world. And I just started laughing about that too. And, <laughs> and you know, like, and the reason I talk about that is because 
and I'm going to tie it all together. I know that you're like, where the hell are you going with this? Um, but I'm tying it all together because we talked about our negative bias, right? Um, so we're wired for negativity for survival purposes. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about, you know, the, the death and destruction and, and the horrors of, of humanity, the terrible things that we're capable of. And then you talked about finding joy mm -hmm. as the answer to that. And I have discovered through running cold water all over my body recently that joy is a choice that we make in any situation that we're in. Yeah. And it has to be conscious and you have to, and I think this is what, what Hector was saying, you have to sometimes force it out. You have to just start laughing when there's literally no reason to be laughing. <laughs> and I, I love that. I love that concept because it's kind of working. Yeah. Like it charged me right up. I got out of that. I got through it somehow. Every day I get out of bed and I have every reason to say no, like to say no to this today. I just do. Like there's every reason to go, you know what? It's going to be a hot one this morning. But I was like, no, how can I push through that? What can I do? And it's joy. It's pure joy. It's just laughing. I don't know what I'm laughing at. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that's coming out. I don't know how you feel about that whole concept, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there. No, I, I, I think it's a gift, right? I mean, suffering is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I firmly believe it comes for us all in all shapes and forms throughout our lives. I'll go to the Buddhist route. Pain is not a choice, right? Suffering is. And the concept is actually from a meditation that I do on one of the retreats is this notion that they call it the two arrows. The The first arrow that hits your body hurts and you can say, ow, but the second arrow is the arrow of suffering that says, how did that person do that to me? You know, how can this be happening? You know, the, the way the mind carries it and drags you through the agony and to say that suffering is a choice in response to pain is not to belittle mm -hmm. sorrow and despair. It's to say that, no, it's empowering you to realize that we do have the opportunity. It's not easy. It's about as easy as getting into a cold shower in the middle of winter, but we do have that power to choose joy, even with Viktor Frankl, even in a concentration camp. And if that's true in the worst situations in all of humanity, then it's true in every situation. And and to me, that is not a, a surrender mm. of shame and guilt. It's, it's a surrender of coming into hope and possibility again. And, and to me, that gets me excited. Mm. And to that, I say, laugh. Laugh as much as it takes to get your ass in that cold shower, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I guess, I, I mean, obviously it's impossible for me to relate because, you know, our, our lives are so just different in so many ways. But I guess what I was trying to do there was find, you know, conceptualize, maybe find some ways in, in which we can, I guess, agree that we have these mechanisms at our disposal and it doesn't matter where you come from in life. And I think it, it sort of sprung from, obviously, you built your business, your net worth was seven figures, your phone was ringing like crazy because you were super important. And then you had the great privilege of not having your phone ring at all, which I just love. And... I think that, yeah, I mean, you were able to talk about it from your own experiences as being able to have that contrast. But not all of us are cut from the same cloth or come from the same backgrounds. You know, how is someone going to be able to appreciate the things that you've 
learned along the way from reaching those stratospheric heights, I guess, to falling to the pit lows if they haven't mm. built a business to seven figures. So I was just trying, uh, yeah. just trying to find some common ground no, here for, I, I, I for think the layman's <laughs> among us. That's yeah. The, what, what I what I would simply say is um, the obvious thing is that I am I am not important. I am nobody special. I am a simple human being who tries to put their pants on one leg at a time and is just trying to get their poop in a group like everyone else, right? That cannot separate me from the reality that, okay, my ass is so stubborn it took that extreme of a situation in order to humble me, right? Um, Stubbornness. For the average person, you don't have to lose companies or your family. It could be be losing your girlfriend and your dog, right? It could be losing your job. Um, It could be losing a close friend, right? Whatever pushes you into that realm out of your comfort zone into asking those hard questions, that is your story. My venture into all this to try to be able to write or speak or to lead retreats is so drastic because I simply had to answer the questions. Is it true in all circumstances? Because if it's not true in every circumstance, then it's not true in any circumstance, right? And so it's finding those same principles that hold true, whether it is your cat that died or your child that died, right? And so my hope is that when somebody hears this story, they don't go, ah, well, I didn't suffer that much, so that doesn't apply to me. But that they simply say, ah, I too have tasted sorrow. I too have tasted suffering. And I know that that hurts and I long for something different, right? I long for more joy. And so my hope is that vulnerability becomes a shared humanity, not another way to separate ourselves from each other. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So many great messages in this chat. I should have known that I was up for that after listening to your your talk and (laughs) doing some other research on you. I was like, there's going to be gold nugget after gold nugget in this conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I asked you about a couple of your influences and, you know, as everyone knows by now, because I've mentioned it all, all the time is that I usually send my guests a little bit of information about the podcast and an opportunity to write a few things to me about some things. And I love when you answered the question about who are your influences that you mentioned two friends of yours and then two like really incredible global icons your two friends daryl davis and irene butter and then the dalai lama and desmond tutu isn't it cool how someone can put their friends in the same category as the as those two you know that's that's what i simply say i'm i'm so lucky because i'm surrounded by all these wonderful people i have very close friends who live paycheck to paycheck and and a very impoverished lifestyle and wrestle with addiction. And I have friends who are quote unquote successful and worth a lot of money. And I have friends who no one knows their name and I have friends who many, many people know their name, right? And so that's why I say the status and the important and all that becomes irrelevant to the impact they have on your lives and what, what they teach you. And so all that I do, everything that I've come from is a result of countless people that have taken time to speak and share and give me the gift of their presence. And yes, I will sit and bury my nose in books from Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama just as much as I will have that experience over a cup of coffee from a friend going through a hard time. And as it all matters, it's all relevant. And again, to come back to it is 
we have a choice to come into the present moment and to live and to experience the fullness of it all and to learn mm. from it all. Or we, I have just as much right and choice to go home at the end of a day and sit down and watch Netflix and drink beer and eat pizza and numb out to life, right? I mean, everybody has the choices to do those things no matter what your circumstances are. And so I, I sometimes those choices are harder than others, right? Mm. We can go back to that cold shower. Mm-hmm. Is it winter or is it summer? <laughs> but... Yeah, I, I think surround yourself. The reference is always you're the average of the five people closest to you. Yeah. And so if the five people are closest to you are very narrow-minded and hate other people and hate knowledge and learning or experience or nature or whatever, then you will, by, by common law, hate those same things. But if you choose to go out of your comfort zone and meet people that look and think and act differently than you and read different books and engage in different things and you learn from them, it will widen your perspective. It will force you to grow and to see things differently. And you will become what I believe is a more whole person because of it, which is which is what the world needs. We, The world needs all of us to be our wholest, most true, beautiful, divine selves. Mm. And that's the gift we offer back into the community because we all have a part to play in that. Mm. You know, I've got the list of 10 bullet points from your framework of you we us here and as you're talking i'm circling Mm -hmm. when i hear you say something i'm circling one of those off and what i'm realizing is that your message stays true is staying true and is is is, um lasting the test of time if that's the term for it you're talking about giving back freely um, and you talk about the benefits that you've received in your life, the benefits to your life from others giving back freely to you. You talk about mm-hmm. cultivating your passions, being the best version of yourself is what's going to empower not only you, but others. And so it's funny that I've got this little list that I wrote down here based on your TED Talk and that as we're talking, I'm like making my way through circling one after the other because it says to me that you're a person of really high integrity that the things that you learned and you talked about six seven years ago you know are still something that you're on a mission to continue to share with the world today and that's Mm. super important and you might not realize it but i've been circling them (laughs) off my little list here and it's true it's true and it's great you know i love that because i i mean what i'm good it's good to know i've never thought of it that way Yeah. And one of the things that I love to uncover about people is like, okay, cool. You've done all these things. It's it's amazing. You're incredible. Have you changed? And not in a suspicious way at all, but I'm wondering how you evolved. If there's new layers to add to your, um, you know, if there's more bullet points to add to that list, for example. Gosh, yeah, that that list could probably become never ending, right? (laughs) The more you learn and grow and unpack and evolve. But one thing that I will say that has been pretty pivotal to me is, um, let's take a, the, the Christian parable about the plank in your eye, right? The more we realize that we only have the power to change ourselves, right? We don't have the power to change the world. We don't have the power to change those around. We don't even have the power to change our children, right? The more we turn that focus in on healing our own selves, right? Going back to that cultivating your own passions, cultivating your own healing, cultivating your own journey, the more you become a greater gift to those around you. Mm. Because ask yourself, if you've ever been convinced of anything because somebody came and screamed at you and jammed a bunch of information down your throat? Or are the most, I'm going to ask a leading question, the most influential people in your lives, those that you sat back and learned from because they were already doing it. They didn't have to tell you, you just saw it. And then whatever it was, whether that was joy or passion or, or intrigue and, and wisdom, 
And so people that come to sell you something, you know, you always got to be wary of that. But people who by their very presence make you want to be a better person, those are the ones I say lean into. And so when you start that journey, when you're trying to change your surroundings, when you're trying to cultivate humility, I do believe it starts with forgiveness. And that means you have to not only forgive yourself for the mistakes that you have made, right? Because in that humility, in that perspective, you realize that only hurt people hurt people, right? Mm. Nobody is born wanting to grow up and ruin the world, right? And so whatever happened in your childhood or in your marriage or at your job, right? Those were actions of people who were wounded. Mm-hmm. It doesn't excuse the things that happened. It doesn't excuse the things that you did or the consequences that come of it, but it, it creates this common ground of humility. And I'm just going to keep coming back to that word mm. because if you're able to have grace on yourself, and forgive yourself, then you will be willing to have grace on those who hurt you. Mm. And there's a freedom in that because forgiveness, what I don't think we understand as a culture is actually about you. It's about yourself and you're releasing that anger and that animosity. I have a really good friend who always reminds me, it's like anger is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die, right? Mm -hmm. And so my hope in in that journey that if, if we start there, just from a place of learning to not only forgive ourselves, forgive those around us and learn to love ourselves again, right? To define our worthiness and our enoughness out of our own goodness. If you can get through those first few stages of the journey, the rest will naturally keep coming. The next 10 or 20 or 30 bullet points in your life will keep evolving and growing and learning. But to me, that is the place to start. Mm. Yeah, wow, I love that. I love that so much. You've been you've been amazing. I'm gonna say well worth waking up at four thirty in the morning to chat to Thad. <laughs> I'm grateful to be on here and I feel terrible about time zones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was I really wasn't looking forward to the alarm going off, but I've got to say I really was looking forward to chatting with you. I didn't know, you know, where this was going to go, um, I guess, because this whole podcast process is something that I'm trying to figure out and, and try and keep these conversations in, as authentic as possible. And, you know, in I would really appreciate how much you've shared about yourself and your process on a personal and, I guess, professional level. Um, I've tried to bring a little bit of humility and uh, vulnerability myself to this conversation too so we can have some common ground. Absolutely. Um, and just as you were finishing, just chatting there, I, I realized that we ticked off all 10 of those dot points from your TED Talk here as well. So I'm going to encourage everyone to to look you up. If anyone wants to know more about you, they can find you on Instagram at thad.cummings. They can find you at changingcompany.org, isn't it? It's .org. Yep. As, yep. As well, changingcompany.org. Yeah, and there they can learn about your three books. One that I'm particularly interested in as well, which is uh, Running Away From Fear. No, it's not. That's not it. Running From Fear, yes. Running From Fear. There you go. Yes. Just added extra words to the title. You need to talk to your editor about that. (laughs) It works. It works. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining. I'm very visual, so I'm imagining the fear chasing you into the desert. Um, and you're running away going, you get away from me. I'm also very visual. Every time you say group, you poop. I'm like, oh, can you just not? <laughs> it's uh, it's the uh, publicly appropriate way of saying getting your shit together. Yeah, yeah. 
which is actually quite publicly acceptable here in Australia to say it that way. So, ah, well, there we go. There we go. But look, look, um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you and, and make this connection. Honestly, I could talk to you all day. I, I love your perspectives and what you bring. Um, I know that my audience is going to love it. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for making time for this little podcast from the other side of the world. And um, yeah, I look forward to connecting with you again sometime. Grateful to be here, Louie. Hey, what's uh, what's the name of your daughter? Stella. Stella. Good. Yeah. And yours? Well, maybe you can return the favor by uh, giving her a call for me and just giving her a big hug and telling her you love her, right? One thing we get to do as, as parents. Yeah, I will do that for sure. And I'll tell her that you told me to do that too. So she... That. <laughs> <laughs> um. And your daughter's name, just quickly? Finley. 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 Oh, that's a cute name. Yes. Yeah, nice. Um, and so I guess, yeah, thank you once again for being here. Um, I really loved having you. And yeah, until next time. Thanks, Louis. Appreciate it. We'd love to know what you thought of that episode of the Louis Diaz podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and even TikTok to let us know. And be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave us a review on Spotify, where you can catch some of our other really great episodes. Thanks for listening, and catch you next time.